Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. Feel good? Pumped up? Ready to go? Turn the person beside you and say, you're awesome. That was quick. Some of you are not as awesome as others. I don't know. Man, it's good to see you this morning. Uh, Jonathan kicked off a brand new series for us last week. Did a masterful job, did he not? He is like the man. I love you, Jonathan. I really, really do. And I'm not just, I mean, from the bottom of my heart, it, it, it thrills me to know. And you're gifted. You're a gifted speaker, but it, it's your heart for people. That, that's, it's, that's the thing. And it thrills me to know that when I'm not on this stage, whoever's on this stage, actually, but when you're up here, I know that I can, our people are in good hands. I, like all state. <clears throat> so uh, he uh, kicked off the brand new series last week called Follow the Roar. And uh, so lines are just awesome, aren't they? Obviously, y'all don't think so. Lions are really, really awesome. They have forever been recognized as the king of beasts. They are the very symbol of strength and power, so much so that tons of companies and organizations and sports teams, yes, friends and neighbors, sports teams, have used the lion in their logo to reflect that, uh, that very symbol of power and strength. For example, it's not a great example, the Detroit Lions. I read that the car company Peugeot has actually used this symbol of the line for over 200 years. As soon as I read that, I thought, that's got to be a misprint. 200 years? I went back and did some more research. Yeah, it's been over 200 years. The roaring head of a line enclosed in a circle of film is the famous logo for what company? You guys are smart. The first crowd... But you guys were like really awesome, absolutely. And there are tons and tons of others, but my personal favorite is Food Lion. Actually, that's a lie. That's a lie. I don't think I've ever even been to Food Lion. But as soon as I saw that, I thought, yes, food. There's there's lots of interesting facts about lions. You should just go, you know, do some research. For example, a lion can run short distances. For 50 miles an hour and can leap as far as 36 feet. That's pretty awesome, wouldn't you say? A good gauge of a a male lion's age is the darkness of his mane. The older he is, the darker his mane, which just kind of ticks me off. The older we get, the lighter our mane. Could you imagine what it would be like if that was in reverse? Could you imagine beautiful babies coming in the world with gray hair? And then old men, you know, 70, 80 years old, 
thick, dark hair. I think that'd be awesome. Another fun fact is that a lion's heels don't touch the ground when it walks. I have no idea what that means. I just saw it on the Internet. I just thought I'd use it. I have no earthly idea what that means at all. But there's something that I read that was extremely interesting to me. It grabbed my attention. It pulled me in. It stole my heart. And that is this, is that lions are the only cats that live in large social groups called prides. And a pride, just so you know. You have three to 30 lions that is made up of lionesses, which is mothers and sisters and cousins and their cubs, along with a few unrelated male adults. And then according to the lion expert people out there, living in a pride, living in a pride makes life easier. That's what got my heart. That's what got my attention. That's what pulled me in. Living in a pride makes life easier. Hunting as a group means there's a better chance that lions will have food when they need it and it's less likely that they'll get injured when they're hunting. So my takeaway, my takeaway from my little study on lions is that life in community is just better. It's just better. Life with other people, life in deep community, it's just better. I read this so many years ago, I don't even remember who said it. And then this week, no joke, I thought, I think I'm the one who basically said that. Anyway, it's a great saying, whoever came up with it. And you, when you hear it, you'll probably say, yeah, it sounds like something you'd say. Human beings are like grits. Where else are you going to get this kind of stuff? Human beings are like grits. We don't stand alone. Now, if you're not from the South, you don't even know what I'm talking about right now. You don't eat a grit. You eat grits. And, and I found this in my research, even going back and looking at some old messages that I did, literally way back to 2005. A survey that was done in the year 2005 said that the number one emotional problem in America way back in the day was the problem of loneliness. Wow. It's interesting, isn't it? Because if you listen to the news now, it just seems like because of the pandemic, because of the situation that we find ourselves in, that loneliness is a bigger problem now than it was then. I wonder if we had gone back maybe 20 years before that or 30 years before that. I wonder if maybe a hallmark of humanity is our struggle for loneliness, our struggle for community, our need for community, our need to be able to fit in. And we can blame it on Facebook or social media in general, but way too many of us feel like a solo grit who's been made to do life, to live life in, the bowl, in a bowl full of a bunch of other grits. <clears throat> you can't make this up. And I wrote this, and I disagree with myself, so I'm going to change it. But let me tell you what I wrote. I, I wrote, and we not only want friends, well, that's... And I realize that there are a lot of, maybe a lot of you here this morning that quite honestly, you've already checked out in relationships. You've been hurt, you've been abused, you've been abandoned. 
And when you start to think about relationships, when you start to think about community, when you start thinking about doing life with a few other people, because of the hurt and the pain that you've experienced, you probably would say, man, I'm out. I really don't care if I ever do life with anybody else again. So whether or not you want friends, I will say this, you need friends. We need friends. Like lions, we need friends for survival. In fact, the Bible says that we were made for community. I've been using this verse for so many years, I can't even tell you when it, when it started. But Genesis chapter 2, God, God did this beautiful, wonderful job of creation. He created man, and then he looked at man in the beautiful Garden of Eden, and he said, Genesis 2, it's not good that man should be alone. I have community. What you need is community. And so then he created Eve. And then once you become um, a follower of Jesus, he wants you to belong. For example, Romans chapter 12, verse 5. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body. Each member belongs to all the others. I'm telling you, God wants us to be in a bowl with a bunch of other grits. <clears throat> in fact, I would say this. It should be the roar of the church. It should be what separates us from the rest of the world. It should be our relationships. In fact, you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, you'll know my kids. <clears throat> you know how you'll know my kids? It'll be that they can quote chapters and verses. It'll be that they can take you from the Old Testament to the New Testament, that they can give all 66 books and who wrote them. He said, you'll know my kids, not by how much they know, but by how they love each other. The power of love. The beauty of community. It's what separates us from the world. So how do we do it? How do we find, develop, live in deep community with a bunch of other grits? Well, according to the experts out there, there are some essentials. And I'm not going to include all the essentials that, uh, that I read about, but I'm going to give you three. And the first one is really simple. It's called connection. That's the first essential, they say, to deep, abiding community. And most of the time when we think about connection, we think about affinity. We think about likes and dislikes, right? In fact, we even do growth groups sometimes based around that kind of thought. It's, so in other words, there's a, a group of parents that are about the same age, and they have kids about the same age. And so when they get together, they have, they have all these things in common, and it, and it draws them together. But I'm going way beyond anything that compa compares to affinity. I'm talking about this, this chemistry, something that you can't quite put your finger on, but you know that it's there. The first church that I pastored, I was a young 23-year-old, didn't know squat, and, and my best friend in that church was an 80-year-old man. Now, you got to understand, I'm a college student. I'm working my way through school. I'm trying to educate myself. I'm trying to, to work my way up, you know, that... Uh, that educational ladder, I even, believe it or not, I even have a master's degree. Why are you shocked? <clears throat> My best friend was a man, an 80-year-old man who went to school one day in his life. One day. He was uneducated. I'm pursuing my education. You know how he learned to read? He went to school one day, they made fun of him, he went home, he never went back. He learned one word at a time. He started with the word, the, and he traced it through all 66 books of the Bible. 
Everywhere the word the was there, was there. He, he learned it. Then he, then he learned another word. He learned the word an, and then he learned in, and then a. And he learned all of these words, and he traced them through the Bible. And that old 80-year-old man, uneducated, could literally quote ver- uh, chapters all in their entirety. And you would have thought, what do the two of you have in common? I have no idea, but there was this chemistry. I learned more from him than I ever learned from any class I ever took in college or in seminary. Chemistry. And there's this thing called acceptance. I think we understand acceptance. I don't think it matters how young or how old you are. I think we're all drawn to acceptance. I think that we all want to know that I can completely be myself. I I need to know that I don't have to worry that you won't love me for who I am. That you won't be willing to embrace me for who I am. That I can be myself. You have to understand, this is a very big deal to me. When we started Springwell Church, one of my first thoughts was, I just want to be in a safe place where I have a group of people where I can get up on a Sunday morning and I can be completely transparent. I can, give you, I can tell you all of my junk without the fear of being judged where I can wear whatever I want to wear, and I don't have to worry that somebody's going to judge me. I had not lived in that kind of community, but I longed for it. Acceptance. It's a big deal. Acceptance is great, but then there has to be the third essential is trust. Trust. It's great to know that you accept me. But I've got to be able to share with you my deepest, darkest. I wrote sin, and then I'm going to change that. Not just sin, but I need to know that I'm in a group of men where I can share my deepest, darkest fear. I found out that as men, we don't like to talk about being afraid. We like to be macho. We want to be tough. But I have the beauty of hanging around with a group of guys that I can talk about what I'm afraid of. The silly things that nobody else might accept me for or might make fun of me for, I have a group of people that I can just share my stuff with. And I don't have to worry that they're going to go Facebook on me. But there's more to it than that. There's more to it than that. You can have... Connection and trust and acceptance. You can have all of that and you can still miss a key ingredient for deep abiding community. So maybe as I'm processing these things, maybe you're saying, well, I've got this and I've got that. And I'm, uh, yeah, there's trust. I've got those three things. But there's another missing element that is absolutely essential for what I believe to be biblical community. And that is this. It's mutual concern. It's, it's mutual concern. It goes beyond Acceptance. It goes beyond trust. It goes beyond the mysterious chemical thing that we call connection. It goes beyond that. Mutual concern says, I'm really in this for you as much as I'm in it for me. I'm not just looking out for me. And here's my term. This is the term I use. I got you back. I got you back. And when I share that, when I have friends that share that with me, I know what that means. That means when nobody else is looking, I want you to know that I'm I'm looking out for you. I want you to know that. I want you to know that you never have to worry about anything that you share. I will never leave you. I won't abandon you, and I've been abandoned in my life. 
I've had friends that say that they would never leave me nor forsake me who walked out and left me. But I've also had friends that have my back. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I'm not sure. So we got to go to this passage of Scripture. It's my go-to passage. Because I don't know of another passage in all the Bible that describes the beauty of mutual concern and really lays it out for us, defines it well, like Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 gives us nuggets, gives us truth that we can sink our teeth into. So maybe, maybe you think that you have it, and maybe you'll discover this morning that maybe you don't. But I hope that what we will do this morning is create a, a hunger and a taste, a desire for it. Philippians chapter 2, the great apostle Paul says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if there's any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, he says, then, then I want you to make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love. Being in one spirit and of one mind. And then, he, and then he says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. These two words, selfish ambition, were used in Greek culture to describe, believe it or not, politicians. So let me give you the commentary definition. It said it referred to people who were so focused on their own agenda, their goal so much that it totally blinded them it totally blinded them to what it might cost them or the people around them. And it doesn't sound like much has changed in 2,000 years. And I want to be careful. I don't think that every politician struggles with that same selfish desire, that selfish ambition. But I think that most of us probably still think of politicians in that vein, don't we? So Paul is saying, if you want to kill community, then just make it all about you and what you want. When you do what I do, when, when you're a pastor, it's not everybody that really seems to be concerned about you. My job, it's, it's my job, it's, it's, it's my call. I'm a shepherd. I'm thankful for the call that I'm a shepherd. I don't claim to be a great speaker. I've never said that the draw of Springwell Church is, is a talking head on a Sunday morning. I'm a shepherd. I love my people. I want you to, to share your heart with me. But when you do that, it's not very often that you have people that look at you and say, well, tell me, how are you doing? How was your week? What are you going through? But I do have some of those people. And they ask me, and they have no idea what it means to me. I can't always tell them. In fact, it seems like it's very seldom that I can say, well, let me just tell you what I've dealt with this week. And I've gone through this and this and this, and that person said this, and that person did that, and oh, my gosh. But to know that somebody else actually cares. They care enough to ask. That's mutual concern. Then he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition 
or vain conceit. And vain conceit is where I think that I deserve something more than you deserve it. So vain conceit is where there's two of us, there's one piece of pie, and I think I deserve that piece of pie more than you do. And it's pecan pie. Let me, let me clarify in the beginning, it's pecan pie. And yes, it's pecan pie, not pecan pie. I don't know where you're from, but it is pecan pie. It's not pecan. Nope, it's pecan pie. It's pee, 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 pecan pie. Y'all got that? I'm just saying. I love me some pecan pie. There's one piece of pecan pie. I would never look at that one piece of pecan pie and think, we could cut that sucker in half. I would never think that. I would look and think, oh, no, we need every morsel of that piece of pie. I would certainly never consider it would never pop into my head when I have this vain conceit. I would never think, you know what, maybe you, desire, maybe you deserve the pie more than I do. I would never think like that. Larry Crabb in his book, entitled Men and Women, says this. This is awesome. He says, the greatest obstacle to building truly good relationships, listen to this, justified self-centeredness. Justified self-centeredness. A selfishness that deep within our souls feels entirely reasonable. I'm selfish, but it feels reasonable and therefore acceptable in light of how we've been treated. Nobody is usually self-centered without at least, in their minds, some justifiable reasons. So there's one piece of pecan pie. I look at you and I think, I'm bigger than you. It takes more to fuel this love machine than it does you. I need that piece of pecan pie. And then I would think, you know what, I work longer, harder hours than you do. I have a manual labor job. I do this all day, every day. I need that piece of pie. And besides, you don't even like pecan pie. I love pecan pie. Have y'all heard? I mean, like, pecan pie is my favorite pie of all time. My mother-in-law, every Thanksgiving, I know, sweet Jesus is going to fix two. <laughs> They're just awesome. I need that piece of pie, and I can justify it. And that's why we have such a difficult time reaching the deepest level of real community. I hope you're following me. I'm, I'm not talking about your average relationship. I'm not talking about just knowing somebody at work, knowing your neighbor. Y'all chat on the days that uh, maybe you're out in the yard working together. I'm not talking about just a, a, some type of general conversation. I'm not even talking about somebody that you might call your best friend. I'm talking about deep level community where somebody is willing to say, you know what, you deserve the pie more than I do. Deep level stuff. That's living life in the pride. I wrote this, honestly, I've just argued with God for several weeks, this week in particular. I got up this morning, I said, really? He said, say it. So this is his fault. Selfishness destroys relationships. And I said, duh, they know that. He said, say it. Yes, sir. Selfishness destroys relationships. See, connection, acceptance, and trust are great. And they'll lead us to a level of friendship. But they won't lead us to the deep level of community that I'm talking about. See, your deal has to be more important than my deal. 
I've got to be willing, when we are really experiencing this deep level community, there's got to be times when I've got to be willing to die to myself, to let go of what I want so that you can have what you want. Y'all following me? That's supposed to be the roar of the church. It's supposed to be what separates us from the rest of the world. So when the world wants to know what real love looks like, they can say, you know what? That church, that group of church people, they're the most screwed up people I've ever met in my life. But the one thing I'll tell you they do really, really well, they love each other so well. They're crazy. But they love each other so well. Living in a pride makes life easier. And then he says this. He says, but rather in humility. That's a big word. Value others above yourselves. The Apostle Paul's writing in Greek, and when he got to this phrase, he was puzzled. The Holy Spirit's telling him what to write. You've got to understand that. How did the Bible come about? It's because the Holy Spirit breathed into men, and, and, and he told these fallible humans what to write. And Paul got to this phrase, and he said, well, I don't, I don't, I don't, there, we don't have a word. There is no word in Greek culture. There's no word in this Roman system. There's, there's no word for humility. I, we don't have an understanding of the word. And so it's, it's basically this word really provokes a thought process, which is basically this. As you look around and think about yourself in comparison to the billions and the billions of people on planet earth, and then as you look back since the beginning of time to all the billions and the billions of people who come come before you. And then if you look into the future of maybe what will be the billions and the billions and the billions of people that will come after you, when you do that, you will come to the realization that you're only a tiny, weeny, teeny, weeny little speck on the timeline of humanity. You're not all that in a bag of chips. You're really not. Maybe you aren't as important as you think you are. And believe it or not, the world would still spin without you in it. Does that mean that we shouldn't value ourselves? Absolutely not. That's speaking of a term, humility. And then he said, value. It's an accounting term. And then he said, in humility, value others. And by others, he means all people. All people. It's interesting. All people. I don't think we value all people. I think we value some people more than others, don't you? Aren't we guilty of doing that? Let's just be honest. Aren't there some people that, just to be quite honest with, we really don't want to make eye contact with? Like maybe you're in Walmart, maybe you're standing in the line, and you can tell that person beside you. Maybe you even get a whiff. Maybe they even have a bad smell. So maybe they got a bad smell, and maybe you can just tell when somebody's wanting to strike up a conversation with you. Are y'all with me? And so you're doing... You pick up the National Enquirer. I don't even know if that thing's still out. You pick up something, start like you're reading. You do anything you can to avoid that person. Why? Because you don't value that person. That person's not going to bring any, anything to your life. They're only going to take. They're only going to take something from you. You don't value that person. And then there's other people. You might be the person in line who sees that person and go, "Ooh, I would really." Really, like it. they look like they're somebody important. I can just tell by the way they carry themselves, by the way they dress. They look like they're they're important. And so maybe maybe there's people that you know that are that way. Maybe it's somebody that you work with. It's a neighbor. And so maybe you want to do things for that person. 
You want to do this manipulation. You want to do something for that person so that maybe you can start a friendship with that person. You know why? Because you value that person. I've said this for a number of years. It is the truth, but somehow I never feel like it's a church growth thing to say. That somehow it belittles our people, and I never, ever in a million years mean that at all. But I can tell you this. When we started Springwell Church, our prayer, our prayer since the very beginning, and still is to this day, God, send us the people that nobody else wants. See, I recognize as a pastor when I was in that particular world, I could tell you stories. I remember I baptized a lady with AIDS one time. People in the church went nuts. That I would run the risk. I said, I baptized her last. The only person who had a risk was me. I remember a man told me one time that we should start another church for those people down the street. I said, What? What do, you, what do you mean? They're not our kind of people, he said. And maybe I just experienced that enough that I said, you know what, when we open the doors of this church, we want to be the kind of church that says we'll take the people that nobody else wants. People matter. All people matter. Could you imagine that if we live that way, could you just imagine? What if our love for all people defined us? What if it was our roar? And what if the world knew it? And what if the world said, you know what, they're, they're a crazy bunch. I can say all kinds of stuff about them, and they get up on their soapbox, but, but I'm telling you what, they love so well. They love each other so well. What I'm drawn to is the love that they have for each other. Now I want to know where that love comes from. I just think it would be awesome. And then he says, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Believe it or not, that word interest is not in the Greek either. It's, it's, it's another one of those things that Paul came to and he said, mm, I'm struggling. I don't, I don't know exactly how, I don't know how to communicate this to a group of people who've never seen anything like this before. So again, it's more of a, of a thought process for you to work through. And Paul's saying, you know what? You're, you're not supposed to spend your schedule, your time, your money, all of your resources only on you. Paul said, listen, believe it or not, what God's blessed you with is not just for you. See, God expects to bless other people through you. It'll be through your giving. That's, that's why we're in this crazy campaign. That's why I want to pay off our debt. That's why I'm sick of debt, sick of it. I got sick, Karen and I got sick of it from a personal level, and then I'm sick of it from the state of this church. I, want, I don't want to make a mortgage payment. I want to take that money, and you know what I want to do with it? I want to give it away. I want to be that weird church in town where people can say, I'm telling you what, they're a weird bunch. Boy, they'll take care of you. And you know what? We can't just do it through a program in the church what we're doing this month, giving away our time, giving away our energy, giving away our resources, giving away our love to people that are out there that don't have a clue about, about God or church or could care less. That's why we do that stuff. And then watch how he finishes this whole thing up. 
Because I don't know if you can sense it or not, but when I'm, every time I've read this, I go, boy, he's struggling. You know, he's, the Holy Spirit's telling him what to write, and he's saying, but how do I communicate this? I mean, I got nothing. They don't understand humility. Interest, it's, it's all about, they've always, always been about themselves. They don't have any idea what this looks like. So Paul gets to this place, and this is what he says. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Hmm. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his, his own advantage. Equality with God was something that he did not grab hold of. It was something he let go of. Could you imagine being God and saying, I'm going to give up being God and go down to earth? What? Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. There's that word again. He said, you know what? I don't know. I don't know how to get you to understand this word. So I want you to look at Jesus, who was God, who was in the very nature of God, but didn't grab hold of it. He, he was willing to let that go. And he humbled himself, and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Are you, are you feeling it? So Paul's saying, just in case somehow you missed it, when you're struggling, understanding what mutual concern looks like, and without mutual concern, you will never experience the depth of community. You'll have great friendships. You'll be accepted. You'll have that chemistry thing going on, and that'll be sweet, and there'll be an element of trust, and that will be awesome. But I want something deeper and sweeter for you. And when you don't understand what it looks like, when you become confused, when you ever lose your way, when you ever get in the Bible and you don't know how to break down that Greek word and you don't know what that phrase means, just look at the life of Jesus. Look at what he did. Not just what he said. Look at what he did. How many of you would say, it's what I want. It's, it's what I need. Maybe you've been like me. You've been hurt in community. Maybe you've been abandoned like me. I remember it was at Saddleback Church. <laughs> it, was the, it was the funniest thing I had ever seen. And Saddleback Church called us and said we had won the Church Health Award, which I thought was funny. Uh, well, I got emails, actually. I started getting emails, and we had won the Church Health Award. And, and I said, what? And I thought it was a joke. I didn't pay any attention. Finally, a lady called me. She said, Mr. McAllister, we've been, and actually she emailed me again and said, I'd like to call you. I was a jerk. I, I said, call me, I don't know, 8 o'clock. You know, call me in the morning thinking they're three hours difference. I'm getting this person up at 5 o'clock in the morning to make a phone call. And this lady calls me. She said, sir, you've won the church health ward. I said, I don't even understand what that is. She says, well, we've studied your church, blah, 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 and you've won this health ward. And this was at a crucial time. We were probably the worst we'd ever been. I'm just going to be honest with you. Things were falling apart. People were leaving more than coming. And I said, Okay, literally, I said, so what's, what's it going to cost me? She said, sir, it's not going to cost you anything. I said, that's a joke. Ain't nothing free in this world. She laughed a little bit, and she said, no, really. Rick Warren wants to fly you out to Saddleback, California. 
He said, she said, in fact, he'll fly anybody that you want to bring with you. She said, I assume that's your spouse, but if it's not, he'll fly anybody that you want to bring. I said, oh, men, sweet pea, we're coming. <clears throat> I said, once again, I said, but you don't understand. She said, sir, I don't know how to explain this to you. You leave your money at home. Don't bring a credit card. Don't bring any cash. I promise you, we're going to take care of you. We're going to give you a rental car, a place to stay. We're going to buy all your food. We'll give you Cokes and chips. I'm in. I'm in. So we were sitting in this conference, and honestly, I'd heard everything Rick Ward had to say ten times and had said it a lot myself right here. And um, my wife, we're on the front row because she would not sit on the back, and so we were on the front row, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm just looking around. I've heard everything he's got to say. My wife's taking notes, and I thought, when I said it, you weren't taking notes. And God spoke to me. I was minding my own business. Literally, I wouldn't pay any attention. I don't know what he was talking about. He said, either you are going to do community, or you either are or you aren't, and if you aren't, you're going to have to quit. He said, how do you know if that was God speaking? I wouldn't have said that. I'm a lot nicer. Uh, I, I wouldn't have been that blunt. I said, whoa, hang on, what? He said, you've been hurt. You've pulled back. You need to go home. You need to dig back in. You need to deal with your junk, and you need to find healing. Maybe that's you. But if you're here this morning for whatever reason, and you're not experiencing that, but you want it, I know everybody's still looking around. Would you be brave enough to slip up your hand? Anybody? And my guess is there are a lot of you that want it, you can't even slip up your hand. So can I pray for us right quick? Can I just do that? And can I say this? Those of you that are in community, if you're experiencing it, then you know the beauty of it and the power of it. Then will you help me pray for those around that just slipped up their hand? You don't, you don't have to know their name, but you can just begin to pray. Will you help me do that? Heavenly Father, I just pray. For these folks who are tired of living like a solo grit, they, they want to be in a bowl with a bunch of other grits, doing life at the deepest level, where there's you know, chemistry and connection, where there's trust, where there's acceptance. But Lord, deeper than that, where they, there's mutual concern, Lord, these people are longing for somebody to look at them and say, how are you doing? Father, give them the courage to take a step. Everybody look this way. Now listen to me. This message is no good if, if you just go home and don't do anything. Get in a growth group. Say, so, well, I stop making excuses. You're never going to experience community if you don't get plugged in somewhere. Start serving. Start serving here. Is it perfect? No. I want you in a growth group. But you know what? If I can't get you in a growth group, then I want you on a serving team where you'll start to build relationships with people. And here's what always happens. What always happens is there's always, then there's a connection somewhere. People start loving you, drawing you. Go to Celebrate Recovery. Be a part of Thursday night. Oh, my gosh. You're talking about the beauty of what those people experience on a Thursday night? Broken, beaten down people walking into a, walking into a room where they go, whoa, I'm accepted. 
And people, there's mutual concern. Somebody says, how are you doing? And they really mean, how are you doing? What are you going to do? Are we perfect at it? Lord, have mercy. No. We're fallible humans just like you. We'll mess it up. But maybe we can figure out how to do it together. Maybe you're here this morning you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you had no earthly idea that God is such a relational God. Remember, if you want to know what mutual concern really looks like, you look at the life of Jesus who did not regard equality with God as something to be held on to. But he let it go. Why? Because he put our needs above his. What? The God, the creator of the universe, left heaven and he came to earth to become one of us, to become like us. And he went to the cross for one purpose, to say there's a brokenness in our relationship and you can't restore it. There's nothing you can do. So what Jesus did, he said, I'm willing to do my part. I will literally give my life not in an electric chair, not with a, a shot, not with a needle. I'll let him crucify me naked. I'll hang before the world, and I'll give my life to pay the penalty for your sin. You can't get any deeper and sweeter with love than that. On the third day, he was raised from the dead. He's alive, and what you feel right now is the presence of God. If you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus, and you like to be, and every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Maybe you'd pray a simple prayer, just a simple prayer. Maybe you'd say something like this. Heavenly Father, I just didn't know. I had no idea, but now I know. Please forgive me. I know I'm a sinner. And I need forgiveness. Today, to the best of my ability, I just want to turn to you and trust you to be the Savior and the Lord and the Master of my life. Forgive me. And Lord, help me. Help me to do unto others, to be to others what you are to me. Help me to learn to love like you love. From this day forward, Lord, I just want to sell out for you. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for the power of your word. Lord, thank you that I know for me, anytime I struggle understanding community, when I start to waver, when I start to wobble, I can go back to this passage, Lord, and it reminds me of what true love really looks like. What it means to die to yourself, to put the needs of others first. Lord, help us to get it right. There's a world that's lonely in search of deep, sweet community. Help us, help that to be our roar, what separates us from the rest of the world. For all that you do, Lord, we'll thank you. It's in your sweet name that we pray. Amen.